because America isn't an ethnicity. It's a set of principles. And here's the, here's the most important thing you have to understand. The left wants to change those principles. They want, that's when they say destroy America. They want to change what America is. And, and you cannot let that happen. My guest today is former Senator Rick Santorum. Rick served two terms in both the House of Representatives and Senate representing the state of Pennsylvania. During his time in Washington, he gained a reputation as one of the nation's leading government reformers, pro-life advocates, and national security experts. Rick and his wife, Karen, are also the co-authors of Bella's Gift, the Chronicles, the inspiring story of life with the Santorum Special Needs Youngest Child. I recently sat down with Rick and we talked about why it's so hard to drain the swamp, the problem with a weak U.S. foreign policy, and his thoughts on the 2024 presidential election. Senator Rick Santorum, thanks so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. And from the moment that I was told that you're going to be able to be on the show, I'm really excited because I have so many things I want to talk to you about. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. And uh, thanks for your great work for the cause. We appreciate it. Great, man. All right. So, you know, I didn't know until I was watching uh, before this uh, our conversation. I watched. We have a very good mutual friend um, relation. That's uh, Governor Huckabee. And... Uh, I saw you on the Huckabee show. He was, you, you yeah. were great. First of all, this guy is a statesman. I, I, he is just such a good human being. Yeah. Mike's, you know, look, Mike and I go way back and, uh, you know, we were opponents, but I, I, you know, I, he was the friendliest opponent I've ever, I've ever had in politics. I mean, we, uh, even though we were running the same time in 2016, uh, we, we, uh, we sort of commiserated a lot because we were going through the same things, right. and, you know, in the in the Trump tornado uh, being being one of the uh, one of the things flying around in the air, getting hit up against everything that uh, that's also flying in the air. So it was uh, it was a tough time. But we, you know, Mike, Mike say um, just salt of the earth kind of guy and, and tell it like it is kind of guy. And and as you said, I mean, a terrific entertainer. I mean, he he you know, he really uh, can can communicate. Uh, because he is a he's a great storyteller. He's a, he's you know he's got uh, he's got that entertainment flair to uh, connect with people that is rare in politics. So he's he's a great gift to our country. Yeah, and, and he's and he's genuine. You know, he's a genuine yeah. guy. You get what you you know. Yeah. Uh, we we he was over for lunch. We were in Florida and uh, we uh, did some things together because he was the first guest on my show. I called him up. We said, uh, Governor, I'd like you to be on the podcast. We didn't have a podcast. Just had an idea, and he says, Sure. I was on it. It was just, and thank God it's been successful since then. And large part has to do with him. Good. Well, you know? I'm glad he gave you out a good start. I hope I don't end your career here. Yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I waited, you know, I waited for the heavy hitters before I, you know, uh, I, so don't worry okay. about it. You're, you're batting cleanup. So first off, before we begin, I got so many things I want to talk to you about. But before we begin, how does a guy like you get into politics, uh, we're more or less the same age or so, born in the early 60s, right? 60s, you were born 60, uh, 59? I'm, yeah, I was born in 58. 58, right. So I was born 62, pretty close age, grew up more or less the same time period. So the terrible, terrible years of uh, of Carter, <laughs> like Carter, inflation, uh, we went through Richard Nixon, uh, we we both saw Reagan and, and, the, and the revolution that this country went through. And Washington was, you know, it's just not a good place. How does a yeah. clean-cut guy like you with Boy Scout looks get into this game? 
Uh, well, I grew up in a in a somewhat of a unique uh, environment. My, both my parents worked for the Veterans Administration, and I was raised on on posts. You know, you think of uh, you know Army brats and Air Force brats. You know, going and moving from base to base. Well, back in the days when we were young, there were still VA posts. In other words, there were, uh, you had a veterans hospital, but you had families who worked there who lived on the post and went to work there. And, and so uh, my parents met after the war, uh, after actually the Korean War, uh, but my father served in World War II and my mom was a nurse and, and, and long story short, they met, got married and they raised a family on post. So I lived, I always say I lived the first 18 years of my life in public housing. Uh, and, and so, uh, I was around, uh, my dad worked, my mom was a nurse at the VA. My dad, you know, worked with, uh, mental health patients. Uh, obviously a lot of PTSD wasn't diagnosed as that then, but, uh, drug and alcohol, a lot of those things. And so I interacted cause I lived there. I interacted with servicemen and women and I did so at a time, you know, I didn't realize it. Obviously you're young. You have, you have, that's your only experience, uh, when you, you know, I'd go on TV and I'd see how people hated you know, our men and women in uniform. Mm. And I know that's for, for young people today, they, they find that sort of hard to believe, oh. but imagine, imagine police officers today. Uh, that's how veterans were looked at back, back when I was growing up. I mean, they were, uh, they were, they were seen as, uh, as dirty and, and corrupt and, and baby killers. Uh, you know, fighting for fighting imperialists. All right, baby and, killers uh, after fact, Vietnam, they were yeah, considered, baby it's, killers, up, and, oh, it's terrible. Exactly. It was horrible. And, and here I was living on post, seeing these men and, and women, mostly men at that time, but but men and women, and 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 these were you know great heroic, wonderful people who were suffering so much from what they went through, whether it was physical or mental issues, and and so I, I sort of was raised with that you know our country is really a great country, but there are people out there who uh, who I saw it and they were on the left, uh, and so I I was raised a conservative not because my parents were conservative they were. They were sort of typical Americans. They weren't political at all. But I was raised with the idea of really loving our country because of having that experience with our veterans. And, and so when I went and, and that sense of service, I mean, that's something my dad, he was an immigrant to this country and he drummed in America's greatest country in the world. You got to, you know, do what you can to protect America, defend America, serve America. And so that was sort of, you know, that 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 experience. I became a Republican because <laughs> the people who respected veterans were Republicans. The people who didn't were the other side, not because of philosophy or anything else. Right, right. It's just sort of that knee jerk reaction to having grown up in it. Yeah. You know, back in the seventies, which, you know, I had on the show a few weeks ago, general Mary Etter, one of the few uh, generals female in the United States army, 37 years she served. And we were talking about that. She joined uh, 1977. And I asked her, how was it then? She goes, we were advised not to wear our uniforms in civilian yeah. public. And when we're in Europe, we were told not to go out alone because they were getting beat up. That's what our, that's what our service people were going through at the time. Yeah. We, you know, we, we forget, I mean, it, it's like Whew. forgetting nine 11. I mean, it's just, you know, every generation, uh, if you don't live in an experience that it, it didn't happen. And uh, that's, that's sort of where we are right now. And of course, then you have people like Howard Zinn who retell history. And then we we end up teaching that to our children, so they don't even understand, no. uh, you know, what what uh, what what the real dividing lines are here in America, and what what made this country special, and and what we have to reclaim if it's going to be special in the future. Yeah, where were you, where's your father immigrant from? Where did he come from? Italy. He was from northern Italy. My uh, my grandfather came here uh, back in 1923. He was Mussolini came to power, and he was very anti-fascist, and so he 
pulled out of this beautiful little idyllic town on the shores of Lake of, of Lake uh, Lake Garda in northern Italy. It's absolutely, I mean, it's it's a tourist place. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And he had a job. And you know, uh, anytime I tell people that who are familiar with, it, they say, "Why would he ever leave there?" It's because yeah, yeah he didn't want to. He didn't want to live under fascism. And he uh, worked uh, for in the coal mines till he got his citizenship, and then brought the rest of the family over in 1930. Yeah. Wow. My grandparents came here from one side, came here from Russia in 1922. And uh, I remember speaking, because I loved history, and I used to speak to them a lot, especially my grandfather. And the, I said, why did you, you know, communism, why did you go? He goes, Charles, you don't know what the czar was like. The czar was terrible. And we were yeah. promised utopia, and it was even more horrible. <laughs> and we were just lucky to get out of there, you know? And, and he had a sense, and, and I remember this uh, so vividly, it's just such a thing. He always said, you know, uh, especially since we're Jewish, he said, we were never allowed to vote. He says, always vote. And he voted in every single election. He goes, it's my privilege to be in this country and being able to vote. Never, ever take that for granted. And, you know, my mother was the same way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I know we have immigration issues here, particularly obviously with the southern border, which are which are wrong and, and we need to stop. But there is also something beautiful about having people come from uh, countries where there is fascism and socialism and a totalitarianism, authoritarian and and come here to this country and really appreciate what we have. And I think we just have a lot of people in, the, in, in America today who don't understand what they're doing. They're just, the, you know, the, the fact that you see the left now uh, wanting to, uh, you know, increase the power of the government and and establish this uh, this speech codes and and you know saying that uh, that uh, uh, speech is violence and violence in defense of our principles is speech, right? Those are those are the things that uh, you see from you know you you saw when I was growing up the books we read with 1984 and Animal Farm like those are the things that you you uh, you, you look for in a government that is that is dishonest and it is out there, as, as you just said, telling the people, we can take care of everything. Just give us more power and we'll solve all problems. And, and that, you know, that's a lie. That's just false. No government in the history of man has solved all problems. I mean, America is great because we've had limited government and we allowed people and markets and, and families to solve our own problems, not depending upon someone else to do it. But that is always the siren song. And, and if there's anybody singing it right now, it's the progressives in Washington, yeah. D.C. are singing this siren song that, you know, just give us more money, give us more power, let us pass one more bill. Yeah, the other thing we did didn't work, but that's because we just didn't do enough. It's not because it's wrong. It's just that we need more of it. And it'll work if we get more of it. And believe it or not, people people buy it. And uh, we have to do a better job of, uh, of telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, two things on that that just bring to mind is, is one, that um, uh, I saw a study that showed that 50%, 5-0, of the Fortune 500 CEOs are either immigrants or children of immigrants. Is that amazing? Where else in the world does that happen? Yeah. Answer well, is nowhere. Right, man. Right? I'm the child of an immigrant that ran for president of the United States. So there you go. No. It, it, it doesn't happen anywhere else. No, it, and it, that's the, one of the great things about our country. And number two, they're, come, they're standing at the border. They're digging tunnels, they're taking rowboats, they're giving everything to come here, not North Korea, not Russia, not China, not Germany, not England, but to the United States of America. And it's, and it's overwhelmingly people of color 
And they're coming to a place this, where this racist country, are, right? This racist yeah, country, yeah. This system, it's this systemically racist country, right? This horrible country for people of color. And you have people from color, all of you have Haitians who are, you know, going through, you know, the jungle and 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 risking death to come to this system systemically racist country. Again, um, the, the frustrating thing for me is. It's so obviously true what we're saying and so obviously a lie what the other side says. And yet, <laughs> and yet it seems hard for us to convince people of the truth. Nope. And that that tells you that's a that's a very disconcerting thing in America today okay. is that recognition of truth is becoming more and more difficult for more and more people. And I, I, I want to tell you just my personal opinion why I think that is. I was thinking about this last year uh, when... New York was burning and socialism was even given, actually said as even a possibility why it's better than capitalism, which is a joke. That's why, by the way, that's why I was on uh, Governor Huckabee's show last year, October, talking about that socialism versus capitalism, which was just to even put that in the same sense, even discuss that is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I think think the reason is, is because uh, sensible, logical, rational people we left the universities. We handed it over to the liberals and the leftists, and we're getting our comeuppance. You know, look, every society that wanted to take over, what did they do? They forgot about the parents. They went straight to the kids. You indoctrinate yeah. the kids, and you own them. And you have people, which was so amazing during the New York uh, last year at the BLM riots and tearing down New York, they were all taking pictures of it and videoing it on an iPhone, not created by a socialist government, by an entrepreneur right. in this country. And we're yeah. such a bad place. It just, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But well, I, I wrote a book uh, back in 2004, 2005 called It Takes a Family. It was in response to Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village. Yeah. And, and I talk about um, you know, what had happened uh, over the past 50 years and actually longer when it comes to higher education. You're right uh, that, uh, that the left took over higher education. We, we, uh, you know, we went off and wanted to make money. And uh, they they packed the professorships and academia and uh, like it or not, the, you know, the most of the new leaders of our country over the past you know, 40, 50 years have all come through institutions of higher learning and have gone through that propaganda mill that is higher education. And you throw on top of that, that's that that was the first thing to go down. The second thing that would go down was was Hollywood. You know, Hollywood used to be a place that would enforce American values. You know, they, they would do propaganda films, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and then that changed, uh, and and Hollywood has has uh, has become as woke more so than even even academia, and you know I, I forget who said it, but uh, someone said you know give me the storytellers and I will control your country in a generation, and the storytellers, all of the storytellers, primarily in America today, are people who who tell uh, lies. They tell lies about about our culture. They tell lies about human sexuality. They tell lies about you know, how markets and economies work. They t- tell lies about government. They tell lies. Um, and, uh, and, and t- as I said before, they've been so much encapsulated by these two great institutions to throw on top of that the news media, which is now completely a propaganda arm of the left. Uh, and again, it, it, you say, well, why can't people recognize the truth? Well, because they're lied to all the time. <laughs> and and, and, and that's, it's hard if you're if what the norm is is a lie, it's hard to recognize the truth as, as it is. You know, in Howard Zinn's book, uh, People's History of the United States, is the textbook. Yeah. And Das Kapital is taught in colleges as uh, an alternative life, as alternative government. 
even though they just put aside the 100 million killed between Mao Zedong and, and Stalin in the 20th century. Yeah, they just did and, it wrong. Nah, you, yeah, you know, yeah, see, that, it, it, that to me is the arrogance, right? I think, yeah. I think someone said there were 40, 42 cases of socialism uh, actually practiced in the 20th, 21st century. All of them got it wrong, but we know how to do it right. Yeah, yeah. Just see, absolutely it's, amazing. It's, it, is, it, is, it is arrogance, and it's, uh, it's a... Um, I always say, well, people ask me, why are you conservative? So I say, because conservatism uh, is a recognition of looking back and seeing what the essence of human nature is and what works and trying to keep those keep that in place. So the next generation has an opportunity to, to have things work well for them. It's not I would say conservatism isn't an ideology. It's a it's a practical guide of understanding the essence of human nature and uh, the essence of, uh, of, of how government and, and media institutions work uh, with, with the individual and the family and, and constructing a system that has proven to be uh, you know, the most successful and, and, and giving people and families the best opportunity to succeed and be happy. That's what, that's what conservatism is. It's nothing more than that. Right. Yeah, that's a good, good definition. I like that. So let, let me get right to it. You were in Congress you were in the Senate. You were part of the swamp. You were part of the legislature. You were part of Washington. Uh, you know how things work there. Now, growing up, I grew up on a middle class in middle class neighborhood. My father was a warehouse work a manager. Uh, two doors away from me was a sanitation worker. Across he was a school teacher. We were like salt of the earth kind of people, truck drivers. And on hot summer nights, we used to sit on someone's stoop, and the men would be drinking beer. And uh, we kids would have iced tea. And they made every problem that New York was going through, the government was going through. They took these complex so-called problems and they solved them. It was simple and it made all the sense in the world. Now, the reason I bring that up is we recently have seen the Afghan, uh, Af <laughs> it's no better word than the, the, uh, what happened in Afghanistan than a retreat. I had um, uh, Ambassador John Bolton on. I, I couldn't even think of the word. He goes, no, it was a retreat. We retreated. And the average person gets, first of all, you don't put a, a line in the sand and say August 31st and box yourself into a corner. Secondly, you don't take the troops out without telling your allies, without getting everything in place, without getting quarters. To, you know, these are simple things that someone sitting on the stoop in Brooklyn, New York, drinking iced tea could figure out. Why the heck can't Washington? Well, it's not, I don't think it's that they couldn't figure it out. It's it's what your objective is, and what Joe Biden's objective was was to keep a political promise, and to do so with a minimum, with with if possible no American casualties. Uh, he didn't care whether the Taliban took over. He didn't care what happened in Afghanistan as long as he could get his political win. Because remember, what you have to understand, I, I've, I've I've seen this with with uh, with the left as long as I can remember, that they don't care about what's going on around the world. If they did, uh, the left who was in favor of women's rights would be protesting what's going on in Islamic countries or in Africa, but they don't. Why? Because all they care about is themselves. I mean, it's just let's just understand this. Joe Biden cares about himself. He cares about his own political future. And, and, uh, and so what, he's, what he did was put together a plan, which he thought was maximum benefit for him and minimal risk. Maximal benefit, I, I win, we, we get out. I can say we got out, we didn't, you know, we didn't lose any troops. 
And, and by the way, the thing that I'm most concerned about is not getting out of Afghanistan other than to keep a promise, but by getting that political capital from getting out and not having anybody killed. By the way, if you take all your troops out before any Taliban or anywhere near you, you're not going to get anybody killed. And so that's what he decided to do. And they are, the general said, wait a minute, you're going to have all this mess. I don't care. That's their problem, not mine. Let me, wait, wait, let me interrupt you a second, man. Let me interrupt you a second. I just can't get my head around this. You're talking about a guy who's been in government for, what, 47 or so years or so, 40 plus years. Uh, not a stupid man because he's in that position. I have to give him some credibility that, that you just don't fall into that position. He has his political savviness. You're telling me it's that simple? It's that, that's, yeah, look, I, I well, just there's don't... a combination of things. I mean, I can get in deeper, but, you know, Bob Gates said this, and I, I always did, and he's been quoted often <laughs> saying this. But I have to tell you, I said it many, many, many times before Bob Gates ever said it. And just so you know, I mean, the, the, because I, I served with Joe, I served with Joe for for many years, and uh, and I saw it. I I did battle with Joe on national security many times. Tell tell us what Bob and Gates said. It, Bob Gates said, you know, Joe Biden has been he has the most experience of any any president in history, or vice president at the time, and any any vice president in history, and he's been wrong every single time on national security. And, and it's true every single time. I mean, there's just not one case where he got it right. And so here is Joe Biden thinking, well, it won't matter because, again, he doesn't understand. I think you give him too much credit for uh, for knowledge. I, I think he he's someone who, uh, again, looks only at what what the impact is on his ability to get his bills passed. He's got these two bills. Remember, this was August. September is when they're coming back into session. They're going to start dealing with the with the with the infrastructure bill and the well and the big social welfare bill. And he wanted a win, so he would have wind at his back, so he could get Democrats to support this and push through, you know, five, six, seven trillion dollars in new spending and so and create a socialist, uh, you know, republic here in the United States. That's what his objective was. And and you know, uh, it, it, the, the uh, as as the old saying goes in the military, you have a plan, but the enemy has a vote. And in this case, our ally has a vote, and the ally and the enemy both uh, both did things that turned out to be devastating to what Joe Biden. Uh, and by the way, not unpredictable. Anybody with a brain should have figured out. And, and by the way, most of the military advised the president not to do this. But again, he didn't care because he didn't think anyone would get hurt. And let's be honest: if he didn't have to send troops back, if there was a way for him to get people out without having to send the troops back, you know, if we left a few Americans behind, as you can see, we've left Americans behind and the media has moved on. There's yeah. no there's yeah. no hue and cry. The fact that there are Americans still in Afghanistan and he figured that he figured right that if he you know, but he what he figured wrong was that there that no one would get out. He figured, oh, we'd have a few weeks, a few months. And, you know, by then the people would be afraid and they'd get out. And, yeah, there'd be some Americans behind it. But the media is on my side. No one would pay attention. And I'd have a big win. And the problem is, uh, you know, <laughs> things move faster than, uh, than than what he even thought. And he got caught with having to put troops back. And that's where that's where things turned into a mess. Because once you send troops back, then the media has to cover it. They didn't want to cover. Let me assure you, CNN and MSNBC and CBS, they didn't want to cover what was going on in Afghanistan. They had to because, because there was an unfolding mess in front of them. And as soon as they could stop covering it, they did. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry to say that you're, you're right. You know, you just sort of disappear off the, the faces of the paper. I think just today I, I saw um, uh, that um, 
uh, the person, the interpreter, who, uh, the translator who saved yeah. Yeah. him was what got out. The fact that this person had to beg, plead to get out after so long, what, you know, so two months later or so, it was just, just absolutely, it's just sad. It's, you know, it's just nothing more than that. It's just sad. Well, I mean, it, look, you, again, I hate to say this, but I, I, uh, I was working with people uh, during this time and, and still working with folks trying to get people out of Afghanistan. And uh, the one thing I heard over and over again was uh, our government was the greatest. It wasn't the Taliban was the problem. It was our government. Uh, and again, you go back to they they never prepared. They didn't I hate to say they didn't care, but uh, they didn't they didn't do what was necessary uh, to make sure that these people who were going to be you know killed by the Taliban or by other groups in, in Afghanistan for what they did in supporting America or by converting to Christianity or whatever whatever vulnerable group it, it was, uh, they just didn't care. Uh, and and the, the bottom line is the media wasn't going to make them care because they weren't going to cover any of this and they're not covering any of this. Yeah, I know I, I saw the journal and the New York Post at the time. We're covering the soccer team that we give the New York, Wall Street. Don't give a play-by-play of the Afghan girls' soccer team that was able yeah. to get out, yeah, so. and it was how through sewers they were. Oh, they were almost killed. It just just horrible, and uh, the, the the judges and the lawyers, the females who were judges and lawyers, and musicians, and uh, that that young seventeen-year-old kid falling off an American airplane yeah. because he wanted to play soccer. Like you're really telling me that he didn't care. No, no. I mean, no, why would you? Th- what What would give you the impression he did? Uh, Is know, there anything that you? I mean, tell me what. Look uh, at look at his speeches throughout the whole time. I mean, he's he simply was emotionally checked out. He did not care one bit. He cared to survive. That's what he cared about. He wanted to survive because he needs to be this transformative president. He needs to show Barack Obama that he isn't an idiot and that that he can actually do things. And and so. This was just a, a bump in the road, and he doesn't want you know. If if you cared, then uh, <laughs> then you would actually have to do something about it. And and he he really he obviously didn't do, and he won't do anything about it. I mean, mm-hmm. we're Afghanistan's over. It's 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 a non-story. It's he'll never talk about it again. And uh, if some if the Taliban you know raises his head up and and uh, and causes or or should I say Al-Qaeda or whatever group within Afghanistan starts to project power, you know, we'll, we'll throw a drone attack and kill some, some allies of us and, <laughs> and, and claim victory and, and the media will ignore it. That's just the way it goes. This is, yeah, I always said when I was in Congress, I, I just, I thought how easy it is to be someone on the other side. I mean, I can understand the attraction. It's so easy to be a person on the left because you're not held accountable for anything you say, anything you do. Uh, you know, the media will always cover for you. I mean, um, unless you become a, a liability to them in some way, they'll always, you know, take care of you. And, uh, and you know, everything you want to do, you're going to have you're going to have a band out there, you know, trumpeting what you want to do because it it centralizes more power in the government. And of course, it gives because of that, it gives the national media more power because all the power is in Washington, and you're the people communicating to the American public about what goes on in that city, then you are just as powerful as the government. And again, when it comes to the left, there's only one word you have to understand. One word. Everything else doesn't matter. Power. That's all that matters. They believe they are, they are the, the, the 
the people who should have all the power because they're the ones who will do what's right, uh, right. and and good for America. You know, there, uh, someone who I know said, "Well, they they were during this. This is during the Trump administration." Well, uh, the Democrats and the liberals and leftists, they're the, quote, adults in the room. And, yeah, you know, but what's, what's even crazier how duplicitous is how be- they actually believe this crap. And, you know, uh, where was the squad? Where, they, where was the outcry when uh, ladies who weren't wearing burqas were shot in the face or acid was spilled on them? Uh, but when it comes to uh, demonize Israel, a democracy— uh, voting against the Iron Dome, a defensive weapon that prevents the slaughter of men, women, and children, Arabs, Christians, Jews in Israel, they're against it. It just because because they because Israel shares our values. They share these ideas of 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 of, of you know Western democracies, and these people are against those values. They they find them to be oppressive. They find them to be you know, uh, bigoted. You just go on down yeah, the list of yeah. their their crimes against humanity. So, if you are an ally mm-hmm. of America, you are the problem, and we need to we need to oppose you. Yeah, and coming that's at, what they believe. Yeah, you know, I, I think you I think you would be crazy if you told me this a year and a half ago. I'd say you're a little off the deep, and you're one of those. Yeah, I've been like, saying this for 20 years, and people yeah. have said that very much to me. I I remember when I wrote the book, you know, people would say, oh, you're just exaggerating. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're a crazy, you're one of these, you know, right wing nuts. nuts and, yeah, yeah. And, and I look back and, you know, I've, I've had people read the book and say, yeah, you know, you not only were you right, you probably, you, you know, you, you actually didn't go far enough. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It's actually even worse than what you said it was going to be. And, and again, I was considered sort of a kook when I wrote it, but it, it, it's, it's obvious. And, and part of the reason it was obvious is number one, you just all you have to do is look at history and what happens to countries that that head down the path that we were headed. But also, I serve with these people. I know what yeah, they believe. Yeah. I mean, the idea that 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 Barack Obama, you know, uh, or Joe Biden believe what they believe now, and twenty years ago they believed something different. No, they didn't. They believed twenty years ago what they believe today and what you're hearing today. They just know that they couldn't say it 20 years ago. They knew that the public wasn't ready to hear what they believed, so they said what they had to say. They even voted the way they felt they have to vote. Oh, yes, I support the institution of marriage until I don't, until I can admit that I never did and that and and that you know that that this is how I always felt, but I, I couldn't say it back then because I would have not gotten elected. And so again, if you understand that that the hard left in America actually represents the Democratic Party and has for a long, long time, particularly those in elective office. I'm not saying those in, in the American public, but I'm saying the, the folks who take the time and energy to uh, to win elective office and in, in, in the Democratic Party and who are successful. Th- these people are hardcore leftists and have been for a long, long time. And again, you didn't hear it. You have a few honest leftists like Bernie Sanders. I always have a lot of respect for Bernie Sanders, not because I think he's right. I think he's he's absolutely crazy. But I gave Bernie Sanders credit because he was willing to admit what he actually believed. And everyone else would agree with Sanders, but would never admit it because you can't be a socialist and and, and get elected in America until, in my opinion, until the Soviet Union fell. And once the Soviet Union fell and the boogeyman who was always there to remind the American public how bad socialism was, Within a generation, that's what happens. A generation, people forget what the Soviet Union is. They forget what happened there. There's no longer that constant presence of how horrible socialism is in the minds of the American public. And guess what? 
Now you can go and you can recast socialism into something that's nice and warm and cuddly and teddy bearish and, and turn it into turn it into a new new, oh, we can do it better, we'll do it differently. And 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 we can be able to be honest about what we've always believed, but never would admit because it wasn't popular to do it. Yeah. You know, um a few years ago when uh when Bernie Sanders was coming, was going through, uh, came out with his uh, announcement that he's going to run for the presidency. He did it in the apartment building in Brooklyn where he was born, where he grew up. And my son, one of my sons happened to be by a friend's apartment who was in, happened to be in that same building. He stuck his head out the window. He sees Secret Service. He sees Bernie Sanders. And he sees a group of Russian Jews, because Russian Jews lives in, live in mostly of Brighton Beach, sees them shouting at Bernie Sanders, you don't know what you're talking about. We lived under communism. And my son asked me, he goes, what's going on? I go, Jeff, these people actually lived what this guy wants to have here, and they know how evil it is. And he's just not getting it. And it's, uh, you, you, you know, you're right. Here's a guy who took his, what, his honeymoon in, in, uh, in, in Russia? Moscow. Uh, in yeah. Moscow, you know. Uh, uh, and then we have de Blasio who took his honeymoon in Havana, Cuba, like, we don't, you're right. They, they're actually coming out and saying what, what they're really showing their true colors uh, of, they don't really show it. They always told us what they are. It's all these other ones who are coming out now joining the bang of what they always felt. And then, you know, what, what gets me is this so-called squad who cares so much about, about rights of everybody in the world. And, you know, Dennis Prager, he was on the show a while back and, uh, Great man. I, yeah, I, he is he, a guy with courage. Uh, he was talking about this for 30 years on his show. And I said, Dennis, maybe I'm getting this wrong here. Tell me really what the left's goal is. And he said, you know, you know Dennis is totally straight right out there. The destruction of the United States. I said, come on, Dennis, sugarcoat that. But tell me it's not, nope, the destruction. I, you know, maybe I was a little naive. I didn't want to believe it. But as time goes on, my goodness, it, it continues well, to crystallize. You have to understand what he means by destruction of the United States. I mean, there will still be a United States. It just won't be the United a, yeah, States. Right, that we know. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there'll be, the country will still be here in some form or fashion, but it won't be the country. It, it, you know, you can make the argument that increasingly it is not the country uh, that that we were born into. And I, I, it's it's something that you know I've I've been taken to giving a lot of speeches lately and. And uh, and and having a you know a pretty frank discussion with the folks that I'm that I'm uh, talking to, and I said, you know, when when I was born, you and I were born. It was the greatest country in the world, maybe the greatest country in the history of the world. I mean, there was we were at the zenith of American power and influence, and uh, and we were a country that was a good and moral country. Now, did we have problems? We did, and in fact, you know, the 1960s actually was a terrific time. Uh, for you know, dealing with that la- that that vestige of of, of discrimination and uh, and systemic racism that that w- that certainly was in many areas or- across this country, and so the civil rights movement actually again showed America at its greatest, in my opinion, which is the church. Martin Luther King was a pastor. I mean, if you look at the people who were involved in the civil rights movement, they were they were people from uh, people uh, of faith know, from. They're people, people of faith. Of faith. Yeah. I mean, you know, who was marching with Martin Luther King's rabbis right. and right. Jewish leaders? And, right. I mean, you saw people of faith standing up there and and they had the freedom to do it. Now, and obviously in, in the South, they were they, they, they didn't have the freedom to do it. But the rest of the rest of the country saw it and condemned it. And and so and, and obviously they were successful. So you you have to look at uh, at, at 
at that time in America where uh, really the best of us came forward and, and, and stood up for injustice, that stood up for our founding principles, which is that all men are created equal and endowed by their created with inalienable rights. That's what the civil rights movement is about, and that's what America's been about. Uh, we weren't perfect, but we kept trying to get better and better. And once we were sort of at the zenith of that, we sort of we have achieved that uh, in in many ways. Uh, that's when things seem to come off the rails. So just when you're at the at the height of what you thought was, you know, the 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 great American moment that we were the, a world power that, you know, we were uh, stood for, uh, you know, for uh, against you know, communism and, and you know, the, the, the all-powerful totalitarian state and for the, the little guy and for the underprivileged and, and you know, we want to, and for freedom, that's when things turn. That's when we started to turn on ourselves. And uh, it's, it, it's sort of a, a tragic story over the last 50 years that we've seen this, uh, this cultural revolution that's occurred in this country. And, and, and here's what I say to people, you're my age. Because people say, you know, uh, you know, how did it happen? And I always answered the same way. I said, well, go look in the mirror. It happened because you let it happen. I mean, we were here. I can't say, well, someone else was doing. No, I was here. I was, I was in charge, if you will. We all were. We were in charge of our families. We were in charge of our community. We were in charge of our businesses. We were in charge of our friends. I mean, we all had relationships, and we didn't do what the other side did. The other side had a passion to change. They had a passion to tear this country out by its roots and, and, and make a new country. And we were candidly fat, dumb, and happy. We thought, oh, we're the greatest country. Oh, these people, let them do what they're doing. It's not going to change who America is. Let these crazies say what they want to say. They're just crazy until they're not crazy anymore. Bernie Sanders was a crazy until now he's the leader of the Democratic Party. And nobody says he's crazy anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's because... We sat here and we didn't fight. I can tell you just issue after issue where we capitulated even before we even tried to fight. And so I, I, I think what, what you know, I would say to your listeners is, you know, we all have a responsibility. Uh, as you know, Ronald Reagan said, freedom is only one generation away from, from extinction. We're that generation, folks, and, and we're living it. And if you want to continue to go down in the history of America, It'll be rewritten. So you'll <laughs> go down the history of America as the generation that lost this country, that lost the greatest, last best hope for the world. Uh, go ahead and sit at home and you do know nothing. play your video games and do, do your do thing nothing, and yeah. make sure you take care of yourself and don't worry about the rest of the world. But you're going to have to answer uh, to not just to history, but to your children and grandchildren for what we've done. But you know what gives me hope is. Uh, is Joe Biden and the Democratic Party? <laughs> no, and, and you know, I, yeah. I, they're they're self-destructing, and you know, the every revolution feeds upon itself, and they're going to start feeding upon themselves now. And sensible people have another shot in 2022, the midterm elections. And you know, I was on a, a talk show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were asking me about finance and about what should we do about this and that. And I said, uh, where are interest rates going? Where is the economy going? Where is this? I said, well, there's one thing. We have 2022, less than a, about a year away, and it's our responsibility to put sensible, fiscally responsible people in office. If we don't, shame on us. So we have that opportunity uh, just I a agree. short time and, away. And here, I live in Virginia, and here in Virginia, we have an opportunity in 2021, in a few weeks, uh, to uh, in a governor's race that will be a bellwether. 
if a Republican can win the governorship and, and the Republicans can take back control of, this, of the state house here and, and uh, House of Delegates here in Virginia. So, yeah, there's always an election. But, you know, one of the things I think we do as conservatives is we just worry about elections and let the rest of the uh, of, 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 you know, of the culture just drift into oblivion. And and we can't do that. I mean, you just can't you can't let woke capitalism, uh, can, win. you know, continue win. Yeah. You can't elect. You can't let the universities uh, continue to uh, to lie to our children and 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 indoctrinate the next generation. You can't let the propagandists on the national media, you know, get away with it. You can't you can't be supporting these folks. You have to go out and you have to you have to be a resistance. And that resistance meaning you know support. Uh, you know, support businesses and organizations, start your own, but but fight back on all those terms. When you go to work, you know, don't put up with the crap. And you say, well, you could be fired. Try firing you now. There are not a whole lot of people looking for your job right now, by the way. This is a good time to say, you know what? Mm-hmm. No, you don't, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna play this game. I'll go find a job somewhere else. I mean, at some point people have to say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore and make sacrifices. That's the thing. Everyone says, oh, I'm mad as I'm not going to take anymore. And then you go to work for Google. Well, well, no, don't go to work for Google. Or if you do go to work for Google, don't don't do what Google wants you to do and 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 comply with their with their wokeism. This is this is and by the way, the other side did this for decades. The other side did this for decades. They were the they were the grease, they were the, you know, the 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 um, uh the 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 cog in the in the in the in the works and and making trouble and causing problems. We don't do that. We just you know we just say oh I'll keep my head down. I want to keep my job. I have a family. Yeah, I get it. But what's that family going to be growing up in in America if you don't stand up for the truth? And what are they going to learn from you if they learn that you just go ahead and 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 go along with whatever your pastor says or your or who you know is not telling the truth about you know, this new way of looking at the culture or what, or your business or your community or your school board. At some point, freedom dies because people don't stand for freedom. And that's, that's what, and that, by the way, there's no freedom that's ever existed in the world that didn't come with sacrifice. I mean, it's just, it's not a natural occurring thing in humanity. Yeah, you know, point well taken, you know, it's, uh, it's you have to stand up and be counted, and it's it, it's difficult, and it really is difficult, especially, you know, it's easy to do the right thing when there's not much on the line. <laughs> but when uh, it's money on the line, your family on the line, your position on the line, doing the right thing is a hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. And, yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, we have a society right now that because of because of these things right here, everybody wants to be liked. They want to, they want to you know, they want people to say nice things about them and think they're great and... No one wants to be, you know, uh, shunned on social media or, or, or being spoken bad of because, you know, being famous and being liked are the most important qualities. You know, it's it's not the most important thing. I mean, having the world love you is not right. Uh, is, it should not be your goal in life. You know, uh, I, and, you know, being being the being one of the people who helped save this country should be a lot more important than that. So, you know, what, you know, what concerns me. And you've you've sat you've sat next to him, and you you know exactly uh, uh, you know a lot more than the average person. Uh, Joe Biden's foreign policy is there a foreign policy? What's a game plan here? Again, I I mean I hate to be um, 
if, if you go back to what Dennis Prager said, they want to destroy America. Well, you know, one of the ways you destroy America is you destroy America's credibility around the world. And if America is not seen as a force for good, and right now I don't think we are, uh, then, uh, then, you know, then we have no responsibilities. And if we have no responsibilities, right, if, if no one is looking to us and, and, and we can, this is one of my concerns with the, with the American right, is we see this increasing um, movement upon the right to say, well, it's not our job to be the leaders of the free world. It's not, not our responsibility to, uh, uh, to be the policeman. Well, uh, you know, to be the policeman, of, uh, I don't know of any, anywhere we're policing anything. I mean, what, what we're doing, every place we are, we're there for our own national security interests. We're there because that helps keep us safe. And by the way, you know, police keep us safe. So, uh, it, it, you know, and, and by the way, you know, police is a dangerous job, but it's not the most dangerous job in the world. You know, that, that it's it, being out there stopping crime from happening actually is fairly safe, <laughs> uh, as opposed to being involved in active wars is very unsafe. And so we can withdraw, as, which is what we're we seeing from this administration. Yeah. But you're going to end up paying a heavier price for for not being there, keeping the peace. Just like the defund the police movement. I mean, just, the the analogies are, are are incredible. I mean, pull the police out of a neighborhood. What happens to the neighborhood? It, you know, it's not a place you want to go into, and and people get hurt. And and by the way, that doesn't usually just stay in the neighborhood. People outside the neighborhood get hurt. And that's sort of the same thing. We're in a neighborhood, and you can either stay in the neighborhood where you know things are problems. And, and keep a presence there to make sure that, that uh, you're keeping a lid on those problems, or you can pull out, which is what the left seems to be love to do, and unfortunately some on the right, and end up with a bigger problem than you had in the first place. So, I, if you, so to answer your question directly, Joe Biden's idea is, and the left's idea is, discredit America uh, around the world, get, relieve us of our responsibilities to have any any expenditure of funds so we can take those funds and we can buy more votes here in the United States. I mean, I just, I'm just, you, I, I, this is the lens. Look at any Democratic campaign commercial. Every Democratic campaign commercial is trying to buy you. They're saying, look, we're going to tax somebody else and we're going to give you a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, do people really believe this? Yes. I mean, does, does <laughs> anyone really believe there is a Santa Claus every, that the government that if you just give the government a little bit more money, five trillion dollars is enough. We need six, but if you give us that six, then everything will be okay. And that's and the idea that that people believe this that somehow or another, if you it, that these shysters in Washington D.C., if you just give them more money, your life's going to be better. Uh, but that's you know. I hate to say it. I mean, it, it's worked. <laughs> it works. Uh, that if you promise something, people something for nothing, there's a lot of people out there who will oh, we'll buy that take it. Yeah, the last yeah. year I've seen that. I've seen people just, you know, this is great. I get a check every month or every week or whatever it was not to work and uh, a PPP and all government loans. And it was it was great. It's absolutely great. Did you ever ask them, are, you, are they happy? Uh, happy. I don't know if the thing was happy, but I always ask them, do you, who do you think is giving you, who, where do you think they're going to get this money from? You know, we, we're just going to see this in taxes. Are you eventually going to have to, you know, f face the man and pay back? And it's going to be us who are going to be paying it back. And Yeah, that, I, I agree with all that. But the problem with that argument, Jones, is that it's, it, it, it requires some, you know, uh, 
looking into the future and 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 making moral judgments. Whereas I think the more simple thing is, okay, how's this working out for you? Are, are, are you happy? Is the fact that you're staying home and you're not working and someone's paying you and you're taking care and you're being taken care of, does that make you happy? Do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel like your, your life is meaningful? And the answer to that is, I mean, you need to ask that question because the answer is obvious. If you look at the rates of depression and mental illness and all of the, th- yep. and the tremendous unhappiness that we have in this country, Arthur Brooks wrote, a, Arthur Brooks is a friend who used to run AI. He wrote this nice little book. I encourage you to read it. It's called About Earned Success. People, in order to feel happy, have to feel a sense of accomplishment. Having, you know, we, we aren't, uh, you know, we aren't just, you know, I don't know if you've read The Brave New World, but I mean, we aren't just people who, you know, just, just, you know, give us our food, you know, give us our drugs, give us it so we can just exist. And, th- and that all of a sudden we'll feel good about that. No one feels good about that. I mean, you can say, oh, well, it's easier and whatever, but I don't think people are happy. They may exist, but, you know, we're meant to, 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 to do, do things. More, we're yeah. meant to, to interact. We're meant to, to achieve things and, 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 and be our best selves. And, and what the Democrats are proposing is not. They're proposing, uh, proposing dependency. They're, you know, a reliance upon someone outside of yourself for, for your own well-being. And that is just a dangerous, mm-hmm. dangerous course. I think it was President Eisenhower said, you know, you can get three meals at a cot in prison. But you, we were made for much more than that. And, you know, I think, you, I think you hit it on the head when you said exist. I think if you ask people are happy or not, that, that's, a, that's a choice that I have to make. But uh, the, the thing is, is they're existing. You're getting food on your table. You're getting rent. But uh, this country didn't become what it was by people who just wanted to exist. You know, my grandparents came here with nothing, you know, just the, the clothes on their yeah. back. And they built and it was a sense of accomplishment to build for the next generation. And, and uh, take away that, you know, look, you know, I, I, it's just amazing. All the innovation, all the technological innovation, the biggest companies in the world, all are here. <laughs> Why are they here? It works. This system works. And we're yeah. trying to snuff it out, we you are. know? Uh, yeah. So I- it, it just it said, all right, so you got to make me happy here. So uh, <laughs> 2024, what does that look like to you? Uh, well, I, look, I, at this point, I, I really don't think it matters whether the Democrats pass something or not. I'm people, I mean, the president thinks he has to pass this infrastructure bill and he has to pass this other bill. And if, if he does that, everything will be better. Uh, I think the, the worst thing that can happen to the Democrats is they actually pass these things. Because if they pass these things, what's going to happen is you're going to see inflation take off even more. And for whatever benefits they're going to throw at people, uh, as you know, because the, the amount of money they're spending is going to be less, they're going to have to phase in their programs. People aren't going to see it or, or right. recognize it. Certainly by 2022, they're not going to have any idea what the Democrats, quote, did for them. Uh, and uh, and it'll be, you know, it's, it's, it's temporary, it's fleeting. And what isn't fleeting is, you know, going to the grocery store and seeing, you know, a uh, uh, you know, the price of eggs go up and the price of milk go up. Try, and the price excuse of me, go up. Try, try to go buy a car, try to go buy a house. Yeah. My, my, my daughter, uh, bless her heart. I mean, my daughter just bought a car and I mean, you know, she had like two or three cars to choose from. I mean, there's, there's just aren't any cars and she, and she had to pay basically list, you know, they knocked a thousand bucks off because they just did it because, you know, if you negotiate, you have, they have to give you something because otherwise you're not going to buy it. But I mean, 
that she paid basically top dollar for for a car. Uh, and you know, she's also you know, she's married. She's certain for a home. I mean, people are paying. I mean, they're they're paying overpriced. I mean, they're paying more than what they're listing. I mean, it's it's insane. And and if you think that that. That is going to that continuation, which obviously continues to to be the case. This inflation going up, it hurts energy. I oh, guess that it, is an example. You know, I think the, I mean, the the New York Post had a, had a front page article the other day that just present inflation. What's what's happening now is costing the average American, not the rich class, not the one percent, one hundred seventy five dollars a month, and that's not yeah. including New York. It's costing much more. Come to New York and see what grocery prices are, and 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 rents and and, and houses. It's just absolutely staggering. And uh, just give you a quick example. This summer, I got, right before the summer, I got a Tesla. And my son said, you got to get one of these boxes, electrical boxes, so you could charge the car or what have you. And I called up an electrician, and it so happens that it's probably the most expensive thing because my electric box is on the other side of the house. So we asked to bring upon the stuff from all the way. Other, I don't even know what it is. Anyway, I, he said, that's 2200 I said, wow, uh, could we negotiate that? He goes, yeah. <laughs> Next week, it's going to be 2600 because copper prices are going up. And, you know, I, I, said, I said to my kids, I said, this is what happened in the 70s. This is what happened under Carter. You never looked and you know, you, whatever price you paid, you were happy because tomorrow it's going up. You don't know what kind of existence that is. It's it, terrible. And energy is even worse because, because for low-income people and moderate-income people, energy is a oh, huge part Oh, they're getting killed. Getting killed. And they're getting killed right now. And we so, didn't hit winter. Look, we didn't I, hit winter yet. Yeah, and and I that's what I'm saying. I don't think it matters what the Democrats do. I think I think their goose is cooked, uh, and the only way we could mess it up is if Republicans somehow you know uh, do what the Democrats do is overplay their hand or or do something really stupid like cave on a on a debt extension bill. Okay, I don't think that's going to happen. But here's what I'm seeing, and you know much much more than this. Uh, if President Trump decides to run again. How do you see that playing out? Because he's making every indication that he is going to run again. Yeah. Well, but I mean, look, if whether he's running or not, he has to say he's he's running uh, or at least give every indication he's running, because if he gives an indication he's not running, he becomes less relevant. OK. And if there's one thing Donald Trump does not like to be is less relevant. So whether he runs or not, I don't know. I think right now uh, I would say the chances are probably, you know, 51, 49. He does run. Uh, but. Let's wait and see. A lot of things can happen. And, uh, you know, 2022 could be a good year. You can see a lot of gubernatorial candidates like guys like Ron DeSantis and, and others who are up for election, you know, come off a really strong election and be in a, in a good position. Uh, you know, Trump brings a lot of positives in the sense that, you know, here's someone who who put forth a very strong agenda that was pro-growth. And, you know, he he's the one that tackled COVID and, and, and got the, you know, Operation Warp Speed and did amazing things, which, you know, we can tell the truth, not what the media is telling people right now, as far as Joe Biden solving COVID. Uh, and there, and there, you know, there, there will be, whether Donald Trump runs or not, I know whoever wins the Republican primary is going to create a clear choice. We're not going to nominate John McCain. We're not going to nominate Mitt Romney. We're going to nominate someone who's going to provide a clear alternative to whoever the other side has. Right, right. So Donald Trump, and this is what I would say to President Trump, in a sense, you've won already. Because whoever is the nominee is going to be more like you than than John McCain, and and that's that's a win for the country in my opinion. It's a win for the for the party, and uh, and so 
I, you know, I would say to him, you know, he doesn't need to run. Uh, he brings, unlike a DeSantis or unlike, you know, I don't know, there's three or four, Christy Nome. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks out there who are thinking of running, mostly governors, by the way. Uh, unlike, uh, you know, uh, the past, I mean, we, we're going to have a, a real strong principled candidate who, because of Trump's influence on the, on the party, is going gonna, is gonna to end up winning the nomination. And he won't, and they won't have the baggage that Donald Trump has. And, you know, Donald Trump, I'm, I'm, you know, I voted for Donald Trump. I support Donald Trump. But Donald Trump, you know, you know has, has a lot of issues that, that drive away a lot of voters. But his policies don't. And, and, and a, mo- a, a more modulating uh, style yeah. would not. Yeah. And yeah. so we'll wait and see what he does. But yeah. either way, I would make the argument that Trump's going to be on the ballot in one, in one form or another. Yeah, you know, it's a Republicans game to lose. That's really it. If just every, you yeah. know, just played out. Uh, all right, Ralph. Well, I don't even know who the Democratic candidate's going to be. I don't think it's going to be Joe Biden. I, I, I'm not even sure he's going to make it through the four years and certainly won't be Kamala, Kamala Harris. She's less, she's less popular than Biden. They, so they, they, they'll they, come up with somebody yeah. else. But here's the beautiful thing. Whoever they come up with, uh, whether it's moderate or conservative, it won't matter. Because it's going to be very, very clear whoever the Democrats put forward, they put forward their most moderate candidate, and he turned out to be left to Bernie Sanders. So, you know, the idea that the Democratic Party can hide who they are from the American public, that day is over, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I, th- I think I totally agree with you, because the American people, you, you fool me once, maybe. You don't fool the American people twice. You know, th- this country is built on a lot of pragmatic thinking, and... We, we might get it wrong every now and then, like you mentioned about race and so on and so forth. But the greatness of this country, it's a self-correcting nation. We had yeah. slavery, you know, we, but we correct, women weren't allowed to vote, you know. So we, we, we do get it right more often than we get it wrong. And when we are wrong at it, we work to get it right. And, and, and that's really the, the greatness of this country. So I think you give the American people, it's like we had here in, uh, in New York, you know, you had before you had um, uh, before you had Giuliani, before you had Bloomberg, you had Dinkins. And Dinkins, yeah. yeah. Now, de Blasio is going to give the next governor a good stretch because we saw the progressive side and we saw it doesn't work. It only doesn't work. It's just terrible. Just terrible. Well, it, it'd be great. If, I mean, that would be a, that would be a huge uh, turn of events if, if someone like Elise Zeldin or someone like that could win in New York uh, as, uh, in the governorship. So, I mean, that's, there's, if, those are the kinds of uh, big changes that uh, would make could make a difference in 2022 and 2024. Yeah, yeah, and you, you know, looking, you know, looking forward, you can't find them, but looking back, you'll say, oh, that was it. And it's probably be something inconsequential that we're not even talking about. It's not even on the radar. It's going to be some turning event that probably no one saw, no one predicted, but we're going to say that's it because that's the way politics works. Yeah, and I would say just one more thing, and just just a reminder that you know we had backlashes before. We had a backlash in 2010 to Barack Obama and Obamacare. Uh, but if, if, if we aren't prepared, uh, for two things, number one, to actually govern after those backlashes, I mean, I, I look back in 1994, that was the first revolution where the first time in 40 years, uh, the Republicans won the house of representatives. Uh, we, we won the United States Senate. I was part of a group of, of nine, uh, senators. We had a, a five, uh, a 10, 10 vote majority. We had 55 Republicans. How, how old were you? How old were you when that happened? I was 36 when I got elected. 36. That's crazy, yeah. huh? Looking and back, you're uh, like, say, is that amazing? 
Yeah, no, I, I've been, I always say I'm the most blessed man. I've, Holy I've ever smokes. Met. That's crazy. Yeah, I was in the house when I was 32 and then got elected to the Senate when I was 36. And, wow. And, but here's the difference. We govern, even though we had a democratic president, uh, we govern, we, you know, we passed welfare reform. We passed, you know, tax, we, 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 we passed some tax changes. We did, we, we, we balance, we ended up balancing the budget. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we pushed conservative policies and we had that we campaigned on. And what happened in after 2010 is we couldn't govern. Uh, Obama wasn't gonna uh, wasn't gonna help. And and when we finally got back control in 2016, we didn't govern because we weren't prepared. We we allowed Obamacare to stay on the books. We couldn't come to an agreement. We couldn't get uh, we couldn't get our act together and govern. Yeah. And even with a you know we had a small majority, but we had a majority that could have done something. And we did nothing. And, and that's, that's very, very important. We, we have to learn that, you know, if we're successful in 2022, we won't be able to govern. President Biden will block everything. Uh, but if we do what we did in 16, which is win the White House back in 24, we better be ready to govern. We better be ready to actually show the American public that we can bring, uh, bring you know, uh, frankly, both sides together and get some things done that uh, that the public would like to see done. Yeah, great point, great point. All right, Senator Rick Santorum, thanks so much. Uh, I, I loved it. I could speak to you for hours here. You give me some hope, and I, and I lo- and I love you for that. That's you know this. Well, I just I I, I know that you have it, but I, you know what I want to give your listeners is is hope is is look, America is the greatest country in the world. Most countries that get to this point in their in their evolutionary cycle, if you will, decline and fail. I, I am not one who believes that America is going to follow the course of every other civilization in the history of man, because we're different than any other civilization in the history of man. No, no country was founded on our principles. No country is, I mean, all these countries before basically, you know, uh, authoritarian regimes or, you know, governed by kings and emperors. And, you know, uh, there was no commonality. There was no common uh, uh, cause. There was no common cause. You know, common because America, I always say America is not an ethnicity. I mean, you're a hyphenated American, right? America is 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 believing in a sense of values and principles. And that's what makes us Americans. People come here and can become an American. I mean, you can go to Russia and you're not going to become a Russian. Go to Sweden. I mean, I it'll take you Russia. years, right? You can't be Russian. Look at Japan. Right? These countries take decades. You can't go to Japan. You can't do it. Right. But you can come to America and be an American. Yeah. Because America isn't an ethnicity. It's a set of principles. And here's the... Here's the most important thing you have to understand. The left wants to change those principles. That's when they say destroy America. They want to change what America is. And and you cannot let that happen. And so uh, that's why. So I want to give people hope that I think we can recover, but we can only recover if people are willing to stand up, take responsibility. It's your fault. What am I going to do about it? And, and maybe it's just your own family. Maybe it's just talking to your own children to make sure they got their head screwed on straight when it comes to these things. Maybe it's working within your church or synagogue. Maybe it's working at your place of business. But whatever it is, it's big or small, you got to do something because what's happening right now is not working. Yeah. Wow. Good point. Good point. Where can, where can my listeners find you? Where were you sp- spreading that great stuff? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm working with Convention of the States. So uh, you'll see me uh, out there talking about the Article 5 Convention and trying to make structural reforms in Washington, D.C. to take power away from Washington. So uh, you can follow me there or you can follow me at Patriot Voices, which is my pack. Uh, and we, we get involved in a whole host of issues. We're mo- much more on the cultural side and sort of the blue collar conservative type movement that I that I, I wrote a book many years ago called Blue Collar Conservatives, and uh, which I think 
uh, sort of laid out the principles of how Donald Trump won and how we can form coalitions of working men and women who still have the values that made America great mm. and see the elites as as trying to change those values. And and we've got to align with them and uh, and work with them to uh, to restore those those American principles. So uh, either place, Patriot Voices or a convention of the states, you can find me. Outstanding. Keep fighting the good fight. God bless you. And keep doing some uh, such great work. Really, really a pleasure. And uh, I have to have you on the show again if, you, if you'd like to come on because this, this <laughs> is right, great stuff. Man. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on the Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.